Peace, blessings, love, light. Welcome to episode three of the Cosmic Medicine Journey. This is the second episode of this month, given one of the quadrants, the vernal equinox, uh, just occurred a few days ago, where we experienced equal parts day and night. And when we're continuing to experience that, I will be releasing a new episode at the start of each of the zodiac seasons, uh, which is around the 21st, except during these quadrants, meaning the equinoxes and solstices, when I'll release the equinox or solstice episode a couple of days uh, before the 21st and the actual zodiac month season a couple of days after. I will be getting into a little bit of the controversy in terms of the zodiac during this intro, and I'll be introducing Kathy Wright Lewis, who I had the privilege of interviewing. Uh, but first, a little bit of an introduction to this season. So mid-March into April is at the forefront of this season of spring, of the season of longer days, of this warmth and cool that we are experiencing. Oftentimes there are these sayings that are attached to these nuances within season. So for instance, March begins like a lion and ends like a lamb. We're seeing that today, for instance, where I reside at the moment, traditional Lenape land right outside of Philadelphia. And want to just take a moment to acknowledge that in this area, today it was a downpour. That experience of the lion is still felt. Within your observations, within what you're experiencing, one thing that you might know if you're a gardener, if you're an herbalist, if you're a beekeeper, is that this is the time to start planting seeds. In fact, if you were to look at what can be harvested during this period, there is very little that could be harvested. Of course, that's going to vary from region to region. So this is a time to plant though. So what you plant now is what will be available for you during the autumnal equinox, which is roughly around September 21st, which we understand as Libra season. So really consider what is it that you want to plant during this season? What is it that will nourish you? What is it that will grow you in the way you need to grow? What risks do you need to take to do that? Within the Ayurvedic tradition, there's the concept of the five elements and how these elements can be applied to each of us uniquely in our specific composition of these elements. For instance, I am predominantly air, space, and fire. That might look a slight bit different from someone else who might also be those elements depending on the degrees of air, space, and fire that I, I occupy. So oftentimes, if you do take quiz online, that can never really re replicate a medicine person who is able to read your constitution, what your constitution and the nuances of that constitution and what makes you uniquely you. So there are these tendencies of an air fire person, but that'll look different from person to person. So the air fire that I represent might look different than an air fire that someone else might represent elementally. So something to consider. We're actually in this juncture in Ayurveda of a shift in season. So we're entering what's referred to as Vasanta. Vasanta is considered the spring season in Ayurveda. There are six seasons. Ayurveda is referring to the ancient medicine system that I practice. I practice it in a way that I would say is obsolete outside of villages in the Indian subcontinent. 
In this season of Ayurveda, we are considering what would bring us most in alignment. One of the things that's traditionally recommended, and when I say traditionally recommended, recommended by the sages, is that you receive something that's referred to as a panchakarma. Panchakarma can be deconstructed as two terms in Sanskrit, panch or pancha means five, and karma in a literal sense means action, so five actions. These five actions are really a treatment program, one of the most ancient programs. One of the things I love about doing Panchakarma and having done it over the past 15 years and seeing multiple clients who have been able to experience metamorphosis from it is that it's not something I came up with. It's something that stands the test of time. It's something that's recommended for everyone to do for a series of seven, seven days, seven sessions. That's to prevent people from growing ill. For everyone else, anyone suffering from any chronic issues, 14, 21, 28, 32 days. And in some traditions, based on the region of the Indian subcontinent and based on their lineage with Ayurveda, it might be up to 64 days, even up to 128 days. This can be broken down into several times during the year. But again, as a minimum to just keep healthy, healthy, which is one of the mottos in Ayurveda, to do it for a minimum of seven. And this season is when it's recommended that everyone do it and anyone else based on their constitution, based on their constitutional imbalance can do it based on whatever your medicine person says to you. But in this time of the year, it's because we're kind of thawing out and you could observe this in nature. So I'd highly recommend you just observing what's happening in nature right now. So one of the things I mentioned that I'd get to is this concept of the zodiac. Beyond the zodiac, we're in a space where you can observe nature. And I'd say use that empirical lens, your observation, your observation skills, your senses, to really gain a sense of where we are. There's a reason why we have these senses beyond being centrally exploited, which is what happens in the Babylon culture and society, which will take things that might be natural, like our desire for sweets, given our ancient past with being hunters and gatherers, and exploit that and make us uh, dependent on uh, sweets, develop sweet toots, and ultimately experience diabetes, hypertension, etc. And that's true for everything, really, within this profits over people culture is creating false needs uh, to sex. That's true with drugs. You see all these people who might have taken traditionally certain herbs to support them in their mental health being addicted to those herbs. And of course, those herbs aren't in herb form, but synthetic versions to extract the most potent chemicals within those herbs that are just one of thousands of chemicals within any herb, really. And that's uh, unfortunately often true with the alternative medicine world as well, where you'll see things like curcumin becoming uber popular. Curcumin, of course, is one of the biochemical constituents among hundreds, if not thousands, within turmeric. And turmeric itself, just like our forests, is part of an ecosystem. And so it kind of replicates it, meaning whether it's natural medicine, which might not be very natural, or allopathic medicine, this monocropping version of, of how we engage with, with medicine, with herbs, and with plant life. So in terms of where we are in space-time right now, one thing that's really important to mention is that if you approach the zodiac with a dogmatic religiosity, the prophets of any uh, spiritual path have taught us is that everything is changing 
Hence, there's that admonishment of getting too caught up in the glitter of life. So just your observing space-time, one of the things you can conclude is that everything is constantly changing. Your moods change several times throughout today, for instance. Based on that and based on the work of astronomers, there's been an observation that the tilt of our Earth, which our Earth is at a roughly 23.4 degree tilt on its axis. This is how it goes through its elliptical orbit around the sun, a complete revolution of which we understand is roughly 365 days, which completes a year. None of that is stagnant either. So even though the earth is revolving around the sun, it doesn't necessarily end up in the same place it began. So it's kind of spiraling. And the sun is also in motion as well as all the other planets. Every year, Earth tilts one degree every 72 years. That means over the course of 2,600 years, the Earth has tilted 360 degrees, which means that where we were when the zodiac started, and it's important to situate where the zodiac started, and different traditions that have a different starting point. In our understanding of the modern zodiac and the horoscope, it starts with Horus, and Horus being the Greek name for the Egyptian god Heru, and Heru being the god of the sky, and hence the term that we get horoscope. Concept that was used by the ancient Egyptians was the sidereal calendar. And this calendar uses our perspective of the sun as we're orbiting the sun through our elliptical revolution. Where we are in space-time in relationship to the sun has shifted from where we were a couple of thousand years ago. So meaning if Aries was what was visible in March a couple of thousand years plus ago, then that's no longer the case now. So currently, based on, again, the work of astronomers, based on can be observed in the night sky, Pisces is what's visible at the moment. So just something to consider. That doesn't necessarily have to contradict the observations of this specific season, but it does kind of shift our concept of this, this almost uh, faith-based belief system on the horoscopes and the zodiac, which if you do align with it in a way that accepts the maxim that everything is changing, then you can also accept the horoscopes are changing, meaning our, the constellations and our relationship to the constellations and apply accordingly. So Kathy Wright Lewis. I met Kathy in Sunnyside, Queens, in an event uh, on climate change called Two Minutes to Midnight. And what was beautiful about it is that it brought a lot of creative folks out. Kathy brought with her her a circle of Brownsville, Brooklyn writers. Kathy's started a writing group some years ago called The Power of the Pen. And The Power of the Pen is a community-based writing circle, writing workshop that incubates writers based out of Brownsville, Brooklyn. And as a writer, as a creative writer myself, I was drawn to the circle, but it wasn't just that. It was a circle of writers. There was an energy to the circle and there was an energy to Kathy. And I was just like, you know, who are these people? Who is this person who just is beaming light. I have to I have to be a part of this. And I felt comfortable enough to share my writing. Kathy's a prolific educator. She retired from the Department of Education in New York City after 30 years of teaching in this interview. She takes us through the 60s in Brownsville, Brooklyn, and also brings us to the present moment. And this is, again, the time of year when we're considering the completion of the circle, the beginning, and what kind of seeds we want to sow. So circles were a big part of our conversation. But most importantly in everything she does is 
she's centered spirituality. And you experience this in her writing. Uh, she's the author of a trilogy. Kathy's been kind enough to also make a Patreon offering, which uh, involves her spiritual coaching as well as uh, her books. But again, once I get it together and I get the website and the Patreon running, I'll make that announcement and uh, you'll be able to access that at that point. Uh, so without further ado, here's the interview. Hi, Kathy. It's an honor to have you on the Cosmic Journey Show. Peace, Asif. How are you? Thank um, you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> what an honor. In so many ways, you're a legend. You're a legend in for America, but also just in terms of being able to have grown up in the same city that you have. I feel like your spirit has been so important in my life, even though we didn't know each other when I was growing up. Wow. That's amazing. So I wanted to start off by asking you a question based on this talk that I heard you give in 2015. It was in the Schomburg in the Harlem Book Fair. And in speaking of your book, uh, Passion's Pride, Return to the Dawning, which was a sequel to Moria's Seed, Why Hope Lives Behind Project Walls, both of which are part of a trilogy, which we'll get into in a little bit. One of the things that you said that really stuck with me, and it moved me in such a deep way that I'm wondering if you, if you could expound on, is that you said, as a spiritual person, I had my ancestors whisper things in my ears. So I was wondering about that in terms of when did that whisper of your ancestors start for you? That's a great question. That, that actually started when I was very young. I, um, I, I was always very fearful. And um, my mother was, uh, and I always had dreams, these crazy nightmares. Someone was always chasing me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I would hear, you know, mm -hmm. it's okay. You know, you're all right. Well, I'm protected. I, I, I'm protecting you while I'm here. So I always felt the presence, you know. So I always heard my, I had no idea they were my guides at the time, you know, of course, but I could always hear them. So especially if I was um, fearful. Yeah. And what did that sound like? Who were they? Uh, did you ever see them? What did that interaction look like for you? Um, mostly, like when I was a kid, like I said, if I woke up in a panic, I just had uh, a terrible uh, nightmare. They, uh, it, I could feel, I could feel a presence, mm -hmm. and I'd hear, and I hear a woman's voice, mm -hmm. you know, telling me I was okay. I always felt like I was in the wrong place, like I, I woke up on the wrong planet. I don't belong here, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. That's how I felt mm -hmm. as a child, and I've always asked these questions. I came from a very you know, my, my parents were not together, so I knew I could find my father, but he never lived with us. My mom was very young and sometimes, you know, abusive. She was an amazing woman. She did, she turned her life around. She did a whole bunch of wonderful things. And she was a magnificent teacher, but she had been abused as a child and she was an orphan and she had a lot of emotional baggage, you know, so we caught a lot of the, the um, pain, you know, that she had you know, rage that she had inside of us. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I felt, you know, she was, uh, she, she was scary sometimes and mm -hmm. I would feel desperate. And that's when I would, they would come to me, you know, alone at night in the bed, I'm crying and mm -hmm. I hear, it's okay. Um, um, years, about 10, 12 years ago, I was in a terrible fire and um, my legs were burned, like 60% of my body was burned. Oh my God. But, yeah. And, um, 
and that day, I, I mean, I I was sitting on the couch waiting for the emergency, you know, for the ambulance to come, and I, I practically felt the, my guy, you know, sat right next to me to the point where I could hear almost like the imprint in the couch and I and I heard it's just your legs you're gonna be fine it's just your legs so they've always been with me and it's funny you ask me who they were who they are I have I have some amazing guides and I have amazing ancestors I never really met my dad's mom because she was uh, she died when he was only a teenager and um, and I had met my grandfather but I uh, you know and like I said, that part of my life was really complicated. But um, I was told um, I had a reading one time, and I would get these unsolicited readings. Mm. And I was not asking for it. <laughs> I walking down the street, minding my business, and mm-hmm. a, a Sikh would stop wow. and say, "I have to talk to you." <laughs> give me a reading, like right on the spot. Mm. I'm at an African American. Uh, we have this African cultural fair every year, and um, Europa priestess is sitting next to me and she turns around and says, give me a hand. <laughs> I have to tell you something. And she told me that my um, my my grandmother was with me all the time. Mm-hmm. You have some amazing ancestors and they're with you all the time. It's your father's mother, it's your mother's mother. And my mother was adopted. So it was my adopted grandmother and my mother's biological mother who I met once, you know, but and it gave me so much um, encouragement to know mm. that I'm being guided all the time that they're with me you know right and I want people to understand that that's why I write what I write and I, I want I want people to get because a lot of people don't get it you're in so much misery and turmoil believing you're alone and you're not you're not those beliefs you know those thoughts that are negative they become beliefs and you, you and they just these things about yourself that aren't true right. so I I, I I like to give the people uh, the relief in knowing, you know, you're not alone, you never, and, and you have a, you know, a, a life you chose, and you can't right. get to literally um, stand on those, those that, that pain, overcome right. it, stand on, so that you can elevate. Right. That's what I want people to know. But those, all those questions were mine as well in the beginning. So, just so I started writing the books because I wanted to get answers for myself and then share those answers, you know, with, with everyone. This is bringing up so much for me, Kathy. You know, one of the things that comes up for me is in connecting with ancestors, especially in an age of so much of this sense of isolation. How or what rituals have you engaged in? Would you recommend? And as we situate ourselves into the beginning of the zodiac year, the Aries season, the beginning of the new year in many cultures, which is uh, the spring equinox, vernal equinox, how would you situate rituals in terms of our cosmic selves? Yeah. I think uh, rituals are imperative, and and uh, they don't. It, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It should just be you tuning in the morning in some some sacred time for you to connect with your divinity and uh, connect with your guides and your and, and, and your whatever you want to call, you know, God, Allah, Creator, you know, um, you know, great master, you know, to whatever, you know, whatever you want to call 
the, the Almighty, but you you take the time to sit there in the quiet and and turn see the turning off of the mind and understanding that that mind that's making up stories that that you know you thought were necessary in order for you to survive, letting go, just surrendering. So so learning to surrender and just open your mind and, and allow. Um, God to speak to you. Allow your your guides to speak to you because they're they're there too. I think if we understood more Eastern a more Eastern way of had a more Eastern way of thought going on that you know because I've been to Japan a few times and I've I, I practiced um, Jorei, which is a, a, a healing light uh, practice. The the practice teaches people to you know be. Light, the light comes through through me, God's light, and I hold my hand out and you get healed. But you have to walk into that knowing and believe in that. What we believe is so important. You know, so so finding the time to look for things, look, look for self-help, self-healing methods. Uh, you know, you don't have to, there are a lot of things. I'm a Reiki master also. You can be healed without, you know, medicine doesn't heal you, you know. Right. You can find healing, you know, if you... If you believe, so first believe that you can do these things. And start with affirmations, you know, I am godly. Some people think that that's blasphemous to even think you are godly, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't you come from your parents? If, if God is the father, mm-hmm. God is the mother, <laughs> then right. you're godly too. It's just that simple. Right. You know, so if we just start to think that way, that right. uh, I am divine, and that there it is possible to be healed. You know, right. I have some things in me that need to change. Right. You know, I need to heal these things, and I'm capable of receiving the healing. Right. You know, and so changing thoughts, so taking that time right. to have a ritual with yourself every day. Right. You know, and some people do that self help books sound like crazy. Right. Do, do a spiritual self help all in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. where you give your right, right affirmations and empower yourself. Feed your spirit that positive program. Uh, until you know the right things and the pot, the energy is so you know because because that's really it's an energy you know, negativity is an energy and positivity is an energy uh, and, and I think that it's important to, to fill yourself up with as much light and positivity possible you can take on anything that you need to you know what's coming up for me as you're saying that is uh, this idea of success uh, one of the things that uh, i hear and we you know we hear a lot oftentimes said about new york city is if you could make it here you could make it anywhere and one of the things i share with people is that i believe that's true in terms of spirituality like if you could grow up in a city like new york and your ego is intact you're not driven by narcissism where you feel like success means you have to make it as, you know, have your name out there, whether it's as a writer, as a psychologist, as a musician, as illustrator, and instead you're able to delve deep into this quietness that you talk about, then you could make it anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And isn't that that, so funny? People will believe that about just living in New York. And this is an amazing place because people come here from everywhere, from all over the world, believing that they can make it if they just get here, you know. (laughs) But they won't take that same positive thought. For their daily, you know, practice for you know, for for their own personal lives, you know, right. they do it for their careers, but not their personal lives. Right. 
Right. Well, I want to tap into that a little bit by maybe exploring a bit of your earlier life. I know that you've been a teacher in the New York City system for 30 years. <laughs> you know, uh, you retired as a New York City teacher. You uh, raised entire generations through your you know work as an educator, but you're also a product of Brownsville, New York. And one of the things that I've heard you talk about in different interviews is the presencing of Brownsville of that period in the 60s and how pivotal it was for you. Uh, what was it that allowed you to engage in the spiritual path when there was so much of this sense of crisis that, that you often talk about in Brownsville? It's, it's really interesting, you know, that you would ask me that because I, I, I was all set to answer, you know, how, um, well, well, we were so fortunate, even though all this turmoil, what, turmoil was going on, teacher strikes, every kind of strike, um, um, blackouts and <laughs> just madness was going on all the time. And, and to us, it was the norm. That's just, you know, picket lines, picket lines, all of that. Mm-hmm. But there were, there, there were amazing people in that community. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where I found out there was this man. Okay, there's a woman named Margaret Moore. Um, God bless her. She's still with us. And a man named um, Mr. Washington. His, his African name is Yusuf Muhammad. I mean, Yusuf Iman. Uh, um, and he's going on um, in transition. But they put their hearts and souls into the children of the community. At the time, we and they they taught us our culture. They taught us who we were. They taught us our past. They taught us about our rich African um, history, and they connected our spirituality also. Because you can't teach culture without teaching spirituality. Didn't necessarily have us. Um, they, they told us how our ancestors made it, and that was we got through slavery. Uh, with spirituality, so uh, yeah, so we 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 chanted. Very interesting. We uh, I don't remember necessarily praying a lot, but we chanted and we called on our ancestors to, to assist us, mm-hmm. and we and we we did a lot of affirmations. We we spoke a lot of affirmations, especially in the morning, and they taught us to empower ourselves and you know to work in unity. And of course, you know, we, we then came like Kwanzaa and the bulls, and that was all part of. You know, it's cultural, spirit, and culture, and spirituality together. We couldn't fight the fight, you know, without our ancestors. We couldn't fight the fight without um, the Creator. So they, you know, we spoke about, you know, who we are as a people, how we're one, and that just, you know, it it made everything better. It made every, and and it gave you the sense of purpose. So I was, you know, I was a ten-year-old community activist, marching, <laughs> marching. Uh, for equal rights and for um, equal education, for integration, and mm-hmm. and all of our um, leaders, religious, spiritual, and otherwise, were leading the march as well. And I actually grew up Catholic. My priest was one of the most radical priests you ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he had actually um, he learned under he was too was was an Ivan Iliak in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, taught him to, to fight for, he was sent here to fight for the community mm-hmm. and to and to lift up the community. He also had uh, marched with Dr. King. 
Wow. And then he had an assignment here. I had these giants around me, great mm. men and women, Father Powers, John Powers. He ended up being an archbishop. Uh, uh, we, had, we, we had a tribute to him and all of the um, elders from Brownsville who marched in uh, um, at 271 and the, the teacher strike, the first teacher strike. It was the teachers were striking against us, against the community, because we wanted our own community board. We wanted our own community run schools. And we had permission from the mayor to have that community uh, run school and uh, they they wanted they tried to make it seem like we were discriminating against them and there was no curriculum that included anything about black history or anything that's any any anybody else but uh, any uh, European culture you know so they fought hard against it and it seemed like they won but Mm -hmm. It created people like myself. Mm -hmm. We learned very young that we were soldiers, we were warriors, mm -hmm. and we could fight. You know, for our right, we had we we had all the power in the world to do that. Yeah, that it, it was it was it was amazing. And if your priest is up there in the front of the line, <laughs> you don't have a problem following. Right. You know? mm -hmm. Right. One of the things that I'm hearing in what you're saying, the theme that comes out a lot, and it's a theme that's actually in the ancient medicine that I practice, is this concept of as without, so within. Yes. So that maxim for me has meant that my health and divinity in being sanctimonious about my health and honoring myself by eating well, by connecting with my body in a way that is honoring of this temple, is essential, but it's also essential for me to be concerned about my neighbor if their health isn't well. So I'm wondering in terms of the lifespan you've had in, you know, you're still in Brooklyn, you're adjacent to uh, Brownsville at the moment in terms of the neighborhood you live in. Has community grown? Has it strengthened? Has it fragmented? Where would you say is the health of the community there now? Uh, the community is in poor health. Unfortunately, um, because of the, the the battle at 271 back in 1968, um, the city really retaliated against uh, Brownsville. And, I mean, you can turn on the news every day and hear how people in the housing projects are uh, receiving poor service. These they, so they stopped servicing. You know, when we lived there, you got your house, your apartment was painted every couple of years. Mm. They always updated the appliances. They stopped doing all of that. Mm. People are living under horrifying um, um, conditions right now. And um, these buildings are, I'm, I'm, I'm 62. My, my sister, who's about five years older than me, they, uh, where we had lived, Van Dyke Projects was open that year she was born. So from, from 1950. 53 okay that's a long time right. they, they you know of course they're gonna have things falling apart if they don't take care of them and um you know they're in sack with rodents and all kinds of stuff and because they they start started taking money that was supposed to go to schools they started using it to open prisons mm -hmm. so brownsville's become a, a haven for prisons mm -hmm. Uh, and these are juvenile prisons, mind you. Mm -hmm. Some of them, uh, they, they, you go in there and the children, they, they were children, seven years old, in kid jail, you know? Um, you have some uh, homeless shelters, they started opening up the hom homeless, well, they started work opening up the, um, the drug clinics first, mm -hmm. 
Hmm. So, uh, so supposedly people who were on heroin, because that was the big drug back then, hmm. they, they gave them methadone and said to, to try to ease them off of the heroin, and they just became methadone addicts instead. So first they opened up those clinics, and, and, and they invited everybody in the city who had a heroin addiction to come to Brownsville to receive methadone. Our community started being like, all of a sudden people were coming from everywhere, and you had all these addicts everywhere, mm. behaving horribly, just, you know, terrifying the children. Then, you know, they opened up homeless shelters. They turned schools into homeless shelters. And, um, and yeah, it, it, it got really bad. Um, we still have the lowest, some of the lowest uh, scores, reading scores and math scores in the in the city. These things were the things that were being fought back then, and it's still there's still a fight right now. The health conditions are some of the worst in the city. High mortality, uh, infant mortality rates. Right. Um, the highest, uh, the probably the highest outside there in the South Bronx, and um, because so many people in Rikers, some of the the residents from Rikers, the, the, at one point, it seemed like the majority of them were from Brownsville. They had an express bus that took you straight to Rikers because so many of the mm. people who were in jail were from Brownsville. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's 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 depressing. That's why I refuse to, to walk away completely. I still go back. I still do the workshops. Mm. And there, I'm not the only one. There are a few um, community organizations that uh, uh, come through to try to help. Um, of course, there have been a lot of gang activities right. and so forth, you know, and mm. the drugs. You know, it's 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 pretty bad. It's right. pretty bad. So it looked like, you know, from outside, if you don't know the situation and you don't understand what happened, they they uh, when when we when we fought against the teachers, you know, who were, who didn't care about students. You know, and we were trying to get more black teachers in. They they said that we were anti-Semitic. And by when they said that word, then everybody turned on Brownsville. Majority of the teachers were, were Jewish, and not even all of them were picked. You know, some of them were for us. Some of them were, you know, they broke the line and they came inside and they still taught their students. But they really turned it into a, a race war, so to speak, and mm -hmm. it was it was it's a horrible thing. And then they refused, of course, the teachers who were, you know, refusing to work a new type of program in the school and help the kids to learn. They they got their jobs back, and um, those were the ones we were asking to be transferred. It's it's uh, if you ever want to see the whole story, they have uh, eyes on the prize, the power segment. Uh, watch that, and that'll give you a lot more information. But yeah, it's 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 in bad shape. But you still have some of the most amazing people there mm. who do not give up uh, on the community. Mm. I have a friend, uh, Johnny May Robinson. She's amazing. Mm. She's always bringing people together. She literally takes food to people every day. You know, they, they, you know, go out of their way to help. You still have some really good churches who do what they need to to, to help people as well. So it's an on, you know, it's an ongoing struggle there. It's an ongoing struggle. But I, I, I can't help but love the community and I and embrace anybody who's from it because that's my home. You know, other mm. people come here from all over the world and I, I'm from there. Right. <laughs> Right. You know, I, I, I didn't come from the South. My mother wasn't from the South. She was born in Brooklyn. So we have mm -hmm. a history right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Brownsville needs some help right now. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, we try to, we, we, we're doing the best we can. 
Right, right. One of the things you do talk about, though, also is that a lot of the roots of Brownsville, just like a lot of the roots of different communities throughout New York City, uh, where we have stew pot rather than a melting pot of you know various communities living in various areas, is that a lot of the roots of Brownsville is in uh, in the South. Right. And I'm wondering in terms of this, within the context of health, within the context of ancestry and spirituality, how does migration play into that? Is there a transmigration that happens with ancestry when a physical body moves from one region to another? Or is there an importance in ritual to connect with that transition? I'm wondering if there was, if there is any connection there that you see between the health of Brownsville, the deteriorating and this migration from the South to Brooklyn, this part of Brooklyn. Well, a lot of the people who were from the South, a lot of them went back to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have gone back and said in the beginning of the millennium, the new millennium, Mm -hmm. there was a a major exodus. So uh, yeah, I believe it's spiritual. (laughs) And when you're compelled by that number, telling you, um, we're talking about like, 70 70 000 people something like wow, that. wow wow yeah if you look at the stats as a teacher i i noticed this shift the difference in my classroom huh. the majority of the the children has become started being uh, you know from the caribbean you know you still have black children and that's that was cool you know but you know everybody had an accent everybody was you know kids would and I'm, i was noticing more and more the southern kids were gone to the point now when the children <laughs> And when I first started teaching, you had a couple of Caribbean kids, and I'd say maybe, and the majority of the other kids were from the South. And the Caribbean kids, poor, sometimes sometimes they get picked on, and, and they try their best to fit in and not have, you know, use their accents and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now it's completely opposite. The American kids are trying to be accepted by the West Indian kids, but mm-hmm. Caribbean kids, the Caribbean kids are in the majority. Right. So yeah, that's how many people have left. Mm-hmm. Now some, so there are some people who are still here, you know, like myself. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me we were leaving, so mm-hmm. <laughs> <still here>. uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. But um, <laughs> you know, as well, there, there, there's still some of us here. But it's a, it's, it's a major change. There's been a major change, um, and people who were originally, uh, because I'm, I was born here. I'm a city girl. I um. I'm just used to the fast pace. I'm, I've never lived on a farm. I've never, you know, mm-hmm. uh, lived that type of life. So uh, um, they, that was always with them, you know. So they craved, you know, craved that life. You know, they wanted it back, the mm-hmm. open air. You know, I'm used to living in apartments with, well, I have a house now, and I appreciate the space. I, I, you know, I get it. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to give that up. It's amazing to me that people come here and give up beautiful land or box, you know, but, um, and yeah, that does something to you spiritually. It does break you, you know, it breaks down your means of communication, your ritual, mm-hmm. you know, everything. It affects you because we we have people all around us and we're receiving some of their energy too, you know, mm-hmm. and that happens. One of the things I'm wondering about, Kathy, in light of what you're saying here with this history of migration, of this uh, shift in demographics, is the role of story. You know, you're a writer, you taught writing, you've written children's books, you've written novels. 
What is the role of stories and storytelling in the health of a community? Mm. Oh, great question. Mm. Storytelling, well, African folklore, mm. you know, uh, was has been with us since the you know ancient days mm. that's how you learned your um you know your history your family's history you know a griot would come you know and they did it with song and sometimes uh instruments and and they they would tell your entire line you know they'd be able to tell you the history of everybody in your family and uh, they told of course you know tales and you know that taught lessons and uh, you know, you know uh, that type of thing. So storytelling is 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 very important. And for me, we we didn't learn a lot of the things that happened because of slavery. You know the atrocities mm -hmm. um, of slavery and uh, post-slavery. You know, and still the trauma that we deal with every day through police brutality and so forth. Um, they leave such stains that people don't want to tell them, didn't want to tell stories about. Them. So we lost, we and and we lost the triumph in the um, stories because they they were so ashamed, or you know they just didn't want to, to to let us know what happened. You know some of these horrible things, hmm. but but they made it through. You know hmm. they they got away. Hmm. You know my my father told me my children's story. Um, Children's book, the first one, Mamarelli, is based on Mamarelli is my ancestor, you know, mm. and she. But well, I hadn't seen my dad, but I went to find him after I had uh, had been in the hospital, and I got out as soon as I was well enough because I started dreaming about him, mm. and I had never dreamt about him for all. Of, it had been almost forty years mm. since I had seen him, and I told my my younger brother, I said, "We we uh, let's go, we, let's find him." We need to go uh, and find him. I think that he wants me to see him. I kept. He had been a barber. He had a barber shop in Brownsville, mm -hmm. and um, and and he would be. At, I'd be at the end of the block. It would be in the middle of the night, and uh, and I'd see the light on at the barber shop, and I'd go running down the street, mm -hmm. and he'd be standing there waving at me, saying, "You know, come on in." Mm -hmm. And I said, "What?" And uh, maybe about the <laughs> third or fourth time I dreamt it, I said, "Okay." <laughs> so there I went online I found out you know I, I, for years I had searched for him now I, I got his uh, I found out his hometown which was somewhere I didn't realize it was Teachy, North Carolina so I, we bought tickets we found everything 99 cents he, I got the address phone number the whole nine uh, I was petrified so I didn't call for maybe about a month <laughs> but then I finally got the nerve to call and I and we went down and he what he gave me um I mean he apologized for walking away and and um he uh we spent like three hours together and he told me the story about his great-grandmother who had been an escaped slave and she used to live in a cave Wow. on the very same land that we were sitting on and he was like yeah back back there in the woods she'd walk through the woods with this big torch the animals didn't bother her and when she could she had escaped and um he they they, they dug a cave and they literally lived in a cave she and her, her um husband was a cherokee man mm. she met him he helped her and um and even though you know she um 
she could have come out once and lived in the house when slavery was over. Mm -hmm. She was much more comfortable in the cave. And they said when it got cold, they'd go get her and bring her in the house. Where, where was and this, Kathy? This was in North Carolina. In North Carolina, okay. Yeah, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So uh, that story, that shifted my, my, my everything. Mm. And I said, you know, I, I knew why I was directed to go there, compelled to find him at that time. And I never saw him again. And that was fine. That was mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we spoke a few times before mm -hmm. he passed. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I needed something to connect to. And he gave me my connection to, to um, my history because I, mm -hmm. I didn't even know for certain that I was part Native American. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know I was part Cherokee mm -hmm. and he confirmed that for me. Mm -hmm. And um, and he gave me my uh, uh, the story. How important is that? When I tell that story, mm -hmm. so I made it into a children's book because I wanted children to have that same feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I know who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know I know where I belong. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I know I have ancestors who are looking out for me. I have an idea, you mm -hmm. know, of what they look like. So. I, I, I the, my daughter, she did all of the illustrations. She's amazing. Right, and, uh, Cheyenne, right? Cheyenne, Cheyenne, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and um, that's where that story comes from. That's to honor my 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 ancestor. Right. You know, my great great grandmother. Right, and you use yeah. the term folklore. Why? Yeah. Because that's well, that's what it's called. It's mm -hmm. called folklore because it, it was about the folks. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about um, real, real stories and mm. their life, um, life. Like I said, life lessons mm. and and explanations right. and stories right. to grow by. You know, right. yeah. Right. What I'm wondering is so much of what I've learned in this path of becoming a medicine man uh, in this ancient. Uh, ancient South Indian uh, tradition is that everything is medicine and that, you know, so we, we, there's the possibility of things being poisoned, but that poison can also be medicine. And then there's right. things that could be medicinal, but they, if, you know, depending on the dosage, depending on the relationship with it, it could also be poison. And I'm wondering the role of story and storytelling in regards to this concept of medicine. How do you see stories and storytelling as a tool for healing? Yeah, yeah. I give, I've, I've given my students um, a voice. That's mm -hmm. what I, that's what I do. And, um, you know, just like talk therapy helps, mm -hmm. When they're able to be heard, mm -hmm. they uh, it, it 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 heals um, students. So I because uh, they talk so much, you know, mm -hmm. and people some some uh, teachers have a hard time getting their kids to stop talking. Well, <laughs> well, I would I'd make them talk. <laughs> I just kind of flipped it around because mm -hmm. it, you know I would ask them, you know, why do you talk so much? Mm -hmm. You say, oh, you know, when I'm home, nobody's there for me to talk to. So when I come to school, I kind of lose it. I'm sorry. You know, one kid said one day, mm -hmm. I said, you know what? You know, I'm going to give you guys a platform so that you can tell your own stories. You know, mm -hmm. and you'll. Get you know, but you, everybody will have an opportunity to get up, mm -hmm. tell a story. It could be about whatever you want it to be about, you know, and I'd make them research and so forth. Right. So they, they could talk, but it's empowering, right. you know, and, and it heals them. So it tells them that their voice is important. 
Right. right. When they're able to tell stories right. and they, it, it helps them to heal, to get right. out, whatever. Sometimes they find themselves saying things they didn't even mean to say, right. you know, because spirit takes over and, it, you know, the sub subconscious, right. you know, uh, is, is open wide up and it just starts pouring out. Hmm. So they, yeah, I, I think that it's really important for every child to tell a story. Let them talk. Give them a chance to use their voices, and um, and you, I'm, I've never been disappointed. Hmm. Never been disappointed. They always, they always come through. They always do a great job every single time. What I'm wondering is, I know you have been going deeper into this path of being a spiritual coach. You know, yes. you've been working as a healer and one of the very first impressions I received of you was as a healer. Uh, you know, I met you uh, at an event referred to at the time as Two Minutes to Midnight. It was an outdoors event, event in Queens, right. New York. And of course you brought Brooklyn with you. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you brought the Brownsville uh, Writing Circle. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, I had the honor of being a part of that and our connection and the way you held the space was one of the things that you often talk about is the importance of quietness and how you prefer being quiet. Uh, and even though it was a writing circle, I left that day, Kathy, just feeling spiritually uplifted. Mm, I'm so wondering, in, as a teacher for 30 years, did, were you... Were you aware that you were a healer? Were you aware that what you were doing was medicinal work? Or do you see it as something that was distinct from the work you're doing now as a spiritual coach and healer? It grew on me. At, at, first, I didn't, at first, I just wanted, you know, like you said, you walked away with that feeling. Mm. You know, and um, that, that fills my heart. I'm so, uh, that's always my um, objective. Mm. To, to make people feel good, you mm. know, and feel empowered mm. and feel their, you know, the spirit. And um, um, in the beginning, I just did what people had done for me. Mm. I, I, I was fortunately uh, raised by, um, um, like I said, a lot of powerful people. And some of them, like Yusuf Iman, when I spoke of him earlier, he uh, w worked with Mary Baraka, you know, mm. the great poet, Mary Baraka. Yeah. And we had met him, and he used to take Mary Baraka's poetry, and he and would give us some of his poetry. So I was learning poetry. We were doing choreo poems, mm. okay, you know, where, where everybody had a line, but it was a poem all the, that we were doing together. And, you know, we were doing those uh, poems as kids. Mm. And um, I, so the first thing I did was teach my students. That's the first thing I taught them. Mm -hmm. I, I, they gave me the textbook and the composition book, and I knew I had to cover those. But I had them create their own um, um, choreo poem and perform it. Mm -hmm. So the kids loved that, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't I didn't realize how healing it was, but I knew that it would make them feel good. Mm -hmm. So the more <laughs> as I grew, I, you know, I started practicing. I, I, at one point, I was in priesthood training in a in the comedic um, uh, in the comedic lifestyle, mm -hmm. and um, um, so my students watched me as I went through this. I mean, you know, I'm teaching, so every growth spurt I had, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was witnessed by my students. Mm -hmm. And um, and your so students were primarily middle school and high school. Is that correct? Yes, exactly, okay. exactly, mm -hmm. from the beginning, mm -hmm. and. Um, and and uh, it impacted my teaching style. Yeah, then more and more, 
you know, it started. And I would have uh, my students would come to me and ask me, you know, for you know remedies, uh, herbs, or whatever, because they knew I was always taking different stuff. Like, what's that? What are you taking? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need some passion flower because you guys are mm. <laughs> stressing me out, you know, or whatever. And they were like, hmm, that stuff works. You know, they watched me and they'd ask questions. So I, I shared, you know, I shared my life with them. Mm. And um, and then, but by the time I, you know, I'm still in touch with a lot of them when I decided to become a spiritual life coach mm. and, um, and the Yala Van Zandt's uh, program, that the you know, and I had put it on Facebook when I was going. I had made the decision on when I graduated, and they were they were all like, "Yeah, of course, Miss. We knew you, that's what you were in the beginning. You've always been that way. You've always, uh, you know, in, impressed us and, and empowered us spiritually. Mm. You mm. know. So, and I was like, "Wow, you know, I I, I guess so. I wasn't thinking about it, but right. I just I was doing it. Yeah. Right, right. You know, it, uh. It makes me think of healing in this this ancient tradition and so many ancient traditions as being one of a circle or rather a spiral. Uh, so like even beyond the concept of linear time and space, so many ancient wisdom cultures recognize and understood uh, the spiral nature of the universe, uh, the spiral nature of time, uh, and you see that manifest in architecture. So if you look at traditional peoples all over the world, you'll notice that their architecture was, you know, representative of this spiral nature. Uh, so whether it was their home abode or whether it was a place of worship, it was very much in sync with the way in which nature appears. So, you know, when we go into the forest, we see trees and they're not squares and rectangles. We see leaves, we see uh, clouds, and everything kind of has this uh, circular uh, nature to it. So what that brings up for me in relationship to stories and uh, the heal this healing work that you did is you started your life in Brownsville, and then you went into teaching. And I know you taught at Boys and Girls in Bed-Stuy for a while, which yes. is an another adjacent neighborhood uh, to Brownsville. But then the last 10 years you come back to Brownsville to right. complete your uh, teaching career. Uh, and so I'm thinking of the circle. I'm thinking of the circle that I stepped into that you held in terms of uh, the, the writing circle, the circle that you hold for women as part of a healing circle. So what is this, you know, what is the role of circles for you? Why is it so important? What, you know, what is the relationship to, spiritual health and medicine for you in, in this concept of circle? Mm. Okay, excellent question. Yeah, well, the circle is, uh, as we say, the circle is unbroken. Mm. And um, as we, as we, when we're in the circle, we're connected in such a more powerful way, you know, mm. our energies link, you know, mm. they connect and, and, and we can feel each other's power, mm. you know. Um, I, I, yeah, I was compelled to come back to Brownsville because I, I, I didn't feel complete, you know, as a teacher, I, I, I started there and I, and I, I felt I owed a debt. So, um, to, and I, and I needed to, to complete, you know, because that's where I received my power and my found, that was my foundation. So I, I said, you know, 
let me go there and um, and I, I actually offered my services <laughs> at trans uh, asked to be transferred from a school uh, another school I was at um, I had just started um, at, as a U of T teacher center as a teacher trainer mm. so I, I came out the classroom because uh, um, I needed a break but I wanted to do more mm. and I felt I could have more of an impact um, if I was working with the teachers more and then they were Key, key turning, you know, the work I did with the, with the kids. Mm. So, um, so I did that. It was an amazing program, you know, teacher center, and and, um, and I was at Lafayette. My first teacher center was at Lafayette. That was a major challenge, but it was huh. <laughs> they called it horror high. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting all kinds of images. <laughs> oh my lord! But but um. But we did okay. I did okay at Hara High. And, and it was, you know, predominantly white. There may have been one, there was one black AP and maybe two black teachers. Huh. And, uh, and and I had to teach a center, you know, there were some black parents and mm. um, safety officers, but majority, you know, was predominantly white and very, and very racist, you know, mm. and very uh, political. And uh, so it was a difficult climate, but uh, mm. I brought love, you know, I did my thing mm. and, um, and I made some friends mm. and I helped some kids. So I felt good with that. And I was like, time to go home. Right. Okay. So, I, you know, I went to Brownsville, oh, but, yeah. but yeah, come, so the circle is, uh, is, is, I mean, just like in Native American culture, you know, we lived in circles, mm. you know, the TP mm. is the circle mm. and, um, it actually scared them when they saw these boxes that you know Europeans were creating to to live in it because it breaks up the energy mm. you know it causes division mm. you know when you're not in the circle mm. so um, and that's a it's it is it's a cultural thing Africans would be in the circle you know and in the clearing when mm. they got away late at night to, to meet mm. you know from the plantation it, that's that's where we we we're empowered in the, in the circle and, it, and, you know, the circle of life, all of the, you know, everything that pertains to the circle, we're in a ring, you know, and of course that spiral, the spiral is powerful energy, mm, mm. you know, so God's energy spirals down right, right through us, you know, and to connect with us at all times, we have that connection. You mentioned so, that also in your feedback to uh, one of the women in your women's circle, uh, where you said that healing happens when you're willing to be the antenna. What did you mean by that? And how does, how does one tune into the antenna when you talk about the energy coming down? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, first of all, the willingness. Hmm. Um, we, we, have the, we have everything we need you know, and I know it's that's hard for some people to conceive, but if you if you believe that you have abundance, you, mm -hmm. that abundance you will receive, it's there. So you, to be the antenna, to be the, to receive the energy, mm -hmm. you have to believe the energy. You know, so mm -hmm. if you're saying to yourself, well, "I don't, I'm not connected to any God," and I, you know, I, you know. I, it's just me here now, and I don't have to fight for everything I need. You're gonna, that's you put that on you. You believe that, and now you're behaving that way, mm. and you're and you're stopping anything from coming to you. Mm. But if you open yourself up completely and surrender, mm -hmm. and and become that antenna, mm -hmm. you get empowered, you know, with the divine energy. 
How does that happen in toxic environments? So I also had the privilege of working in the Department of Education for five years. (laughs) And, you know, there there is a bit of toxicity that is present in in that culture, in that world. Uh, And I'm just wondering, how did you... How did you tap into that antenna? How did you tap into that spiral energy where you were able to stay tuned in? What did you do to be a source of medicine instead of, you know, being, being the, being a part of the toxicity? (laughs) Listen, I I, I kept it on me every day. It's what saved me. Mm. I refuse to, uh, I can't move without it. Mm. And, uh, It's, it is, it can be very toxic and very overwhelming. You know, you have to guard your heart. And you can't, and, uh, and, yeah, you have to guard your heart when you walk in the door. You have to make sure that you, you're, you're connected with your principles. You can't lose your your integrity. You can't lose your, and, and it's easy for, I've seen people lose their integrity, uh, you know, and uh, for a position. You know? What do you mean and, by that? Well, you know, there's some, you know, I, I remained a teacher. I became the, the, the literacy coach and the mm-hmm. teacher trainer and stuff, but um, I refused to be administration mm-hmm. because I saw so many people become assistant principals and principals, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them are amazing, amazing principals. I worked with some amazing principals, mm-hmm. and that's another reason why I was able to, to mm-hmm. keep my sanity and keep my faith mm-hmm. and keep my divinity. Mm-hmm. But um, but there are some people who were not as fortunate, and I've seen people change the power, the mm-hmm. power, mm-hmm. you know, that they start to believe that they have, make make terrible decisions about children's lives, do terrible things to children. I've seen it all, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and and I'm like, you know, what happened to you? You know, who are you now? You know, so so you um. And and I don't think I don't only I don't think they intend to be that way, but it just it changes them. Mm. And I, I, not that I was fearful of it, but I, I know that the demands on an administrator mm. are um, are harsh, mm. and um, mm. they're asked to do the impossible. So they turn around and then they 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 trickle they trickles down to the teachers, mm. and um, and and then you know of course to the students but uh so the stress that they they go under uh some of them just make some terrible terrible decisions and i never wanted to and they have no choice it's like you do this or you you know you're out of here you know we'll or we'll find somebody else who will do it i've seen principals taken down you know so i don't blame them you know for the change but i've seen what the stress of the job has done to mm-hmm. you know some people who can't you know who can't handle it right. and uh, and now i fortunately i, I worked with uh, the illustrious frank and mickens uh, he was the principal at Boys and Girls High School. I actually started with him. Right, and you compared and, him to uh, the Lean on Me principal. Absolutely, <laughs> same guy. He used to say, "That's my cousin." <laughs> uh-huh. And he, 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 and my mom talked me into teaching because I was not going to do that. <laughs> That was not what right. my plan was, but they and I and then I just I fell in love with the kids. You were studying law, or you were going in that yeah, direction. Yeah, well, I was supposed to go to law school. Yeah, right. I was supposed to go to law school. Uh-huh. So yeah, but I um, you know, so he 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 didn't care for 
the well the board of ed the leaders and he didn't answer to them he mm-hmm. decided he was going to run his school the way he needed to because he knew what his students needed mm-hmm. and he was he broke all the rules mm-hmm. <laughs> he called himself the commissioner of, mm-hmm. of Fulton Street mm-hmm. and uh, the chancellor of Fulton Street mm-hmm. and um, he protected every child who even walked past his school Mm-hmm. Okay, in a, in a four block radius in every direction, mm-hmm. he had safety officers. As that school is huge, right. so he was allowed to have more safety officers than most schools. Right. We have we had four between four and five thousand kids when I was there. Wow, wow, yeah, right. So, That's right so, off Utica Avenue, right? Yeah, Utica and Fulton. Right. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. So so, and he made sure that every every single child was taken care of. Not only did we design curriculum and programs for the kids but mm-hmm. he made us mentor children and you know he said i, I want to know that every kid has somebody to, to talk to you need to know what's going on with them so everybody in addition to all the classes you have and mm-hmm. all the other things that we're doing mm-hmm. you have at least four kids of your own that you take care of mm-hmm. you know he was he was he was an amazing man mm-hmm. and 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 he really we we nurtured those kids we mm-hmm. nurtured those kids i never worked anywhere else where that that level of love mm. was shared, and he knew the kids. He they were buddy buddy with him. Right. He'd be he'd never be in his office. He'd be in the staircase talking to kids, you know, during passing, you know. So he made sure he he, he really took care of them. He, he was an amazing man. Right. So I I worked under those type of conditions where I was allowed to do things that I uh, wouldn't usually do. By the time I got to Benjamin Banneker, the next school, yeah. they, they had just opened up. It was a brand new school. And when we christened the school, yeah. uh, the principal actually asked me if I would bless the school. And mm. I, uh, mm. yeah, I staged that building from top to bottom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, I mean, who gets to do that? You right. know, who, you know, honor. what? Yeah, you know, we we had drummers and everything was beautiful. So that school was a treasure, and we mm. did a wonderful thing. We took those kids all over the world, different programs. Mm. We took them to Africa, China, mm. all kinds of stuff. So I've been so fortunate mm. to to be in places where I was allowed to be myself. Right. I, I was I was uh, I was supported for just bringing a different type of education right. to the children. You know, right. yeah. You know what's coming up for me is community. Like that seems like that's a that's been a theme throughout your life. Like whether it's with uh, the circles that you grew up around, with the giants, as you put it, uh, that held held you to your highest self. These were people in the community uh, yes. who held you accountable, and then you doing the same in boys and girls and other schools you've taught in, and then continuing to do that holding this tradition of community. And what I'm wondering is in this age where across the board, you know, whether we're, you know, beyond, you know, irrespective of class, race, ethnicity, and even at this point, unfortunately, because of uh, the the universalization of Babylon, you know, uh, we've become more, and more and more individualistic almost each of us islands unto ourselves where when i was coming up i'd have to ask my mom if anyone called for me <laughs> to everyone kind of not needing anyone else uh from having bands of seven eight nine people who are musicians jamming together to being a one-person show mm-hmm. 
so of everything in terms of technology and the way in which uh, generations now are growing up fosters individualism and indiv you know this isolation from others and the sense of alienation how do you incorporate community into that i um just introduce it when um i just made a call mm -hmm. i just you know i knew i wanted to come back to brownsville after i retired to um to offer something and I said, well, I'm a writer. Let me see if I could start this uh, writing class, a little writing workshop. I used to be a member of the Luis Reyes Rivera writing workshop, a major, another another huge <laughs> person. Mm. He was amazing. And, could you um, tell us a little bit about him? Sure. He's um, he was he's he was Puerto Rican, African Puerto Rican, Afro Latino. Mm -hmm was very proud he they called him the janitor of history he could <laughs> he taught at many yeah he taught at city college he's one of one of the uh, people back in the 60s to overturn city college because mm. they didn't have a, any kind of african or latino studies and the students did and he was amongst them you know and 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 he so he taught as a professor as well and he 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 taught us but he was a, a, an amazing poet Mm -hmm. Amazing poet. If you ever see Deaf Poetry Jam, you know he's there's an episode with he when him on it, and mm -hmm. he does the um, bullet cry. There's a bullet cry, and he was talking about the bullet that killed Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's amazing, and you, they called him Yoda because he was only about four foot two, but <laughs> but he was a giant of a man as well. Mm -hmm. And um, so he had a poet a a, 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 a writing workshop also. Mm -hmm. And when I started writing Passion's Pride, I, I, I started to attend the workshop and um, and um, he was helping to edit the book, you know, before he passed. Mm. But, but he and Mary Baraka, you know, all those cats from back in the day, they, they you know, they, they were all very close. And, you know, so it was just like returning home for me to hook back up with him. Mm. So, you know, he's he, he was he was something else. So he he kind of gave me the idea. I said, I want to do the work. And you would have, you know, we only met once a month on Saturdays at Sister's Place in Bed-Stuy. But there would be a good 40, 50 people at the workshop. Wow. So, Oh. Yeah, so you didn't, like at my workshop, everybody gets to read because right, right. we're maybe, sometimes we have about 12 people at the most, 12, 13 people. Right. And, you know, some days they're more, some days they're less. But um, but you had to at least be in a workshop for a good six months before you could read your piece. And there will only be two readers, you know, right. and then everybody would give feedback. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I love that. I love that. So I said, you know, I, I want to offer that. I know we have some writers in Brownsville, mm -hmm. you know, I know that we have, um, you know, work that, that needs to be done and nobody mm -hmm. who's going to give them that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I made the call. I, all I did, I went to the Brownsville Heritage House mm -hmm. um, and I met a, an amazing woman, Miriam Robertson. Mm -hmm. That's my sister now. <laughs> and I asked her, would she, want, would she allow me to have the writing workshop there? And she said, you would do that? Of course. So, you, so she gave me Saturdays mm. from 11 to 2. Right. And as the people came in, 
Uh, you know, it was just amazing, you know, mm. just to see them answer the call. Mm. Little by little, you know, they would come in one by one. I, mm. I, I've been looking for something like this. Mm. I, 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 I can't believe that you would do something like this, you know. Mm. And so one day we had a woman, she came all the way from the Bronx, rode the train for two hours mm. so she could come to the workshop. Right. And so we've had people who just came for once or twice mm. and said, I just had to tell somebody this story. Mm. You know, I, I was blind literally lost my sight and now I can see again. I mean, the, the, the stories, right. uh, unbelievable stories. So right. um, what I think when you make the call, you know, mm. people will, people, people will come. Mm. That energy will seek them out. I believe our ancestors mm. set it up for us to, you know, to, to, to be connected. Mm. Everybody who's come to that, that uh, workshop, right. when they talk about it now, it blows me away. You right. know, it blows me away. They right. love it. Right. They're so grateful for it. Right. And they, you know, that they were like, well, you know, what made you do this? I'm just right. so glad that you did this. I didn't right. even know I could write. Right. I didn't even know, you know, that I knew I had a story. Right. I never wrote a poem before. Now I'm writing poetry. And I you can, know? Kathy, I can attest to that. I mean, again, my being in that space and you've been more than, uh, gracious to invite me back and it's been an honor in so many ways I think what you're uh, in terms of how you've situated this creation of community through a circle uh, and doing that by way of almost a part of an ancestral calling is what I'm hearing from you and what's powerful about that is there's certain people Kathy I don't know if you've experienced this but when you go to their home you feel like you you know, you don't want to touch anything. You're afraid to like, you know, you're, you're on your on your toes because everything is so meticulous and like everything has the squares and rectangles of where things go. And then there's other people's houses where you might go to and it might be a little messy, but you feel right at home there. <laughs> <laughs> and they make you feel home. And I feel that I felt that with, with the circle and what I'm hearing from you is build it build it and they will come and build it not from this place of ego but from this deeper place of part of a ancestral calling and it's all of our calling kathy what i'm hearing from you is because our purpose as humans is to connect yes absolutely absolutely we're not we're so much better together mm. and we and and in this new age that we've stepped into mm. You know, this age of Aquarius, we are definitely going to be uniting more than we were before. Mm. You know, I, I thought that was real interesting what you said, you know, that individualization. But I think what everyone's learned from this um, experience of, of, of COVID and being mm. home and isolated, mm. they don't want that anymore. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I, I think after going through this, people are going to say, I need to get together. Let me get out this house. Right. Let me get connected with somebody, you know, right. and people start having Zoom parties and stuff like that right. to, to save their sanity. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, we've been doing open mics also okay. because just to inject some some love and some mm. positive energy mm. and, you know, into, you know, the atmosphere. Mm. And, and, and it makes everyone feel so good. Mm. We need each other. We mm. need each other. The, you know, we are one. We really are one. Mm. And we do. You're, you're completely correct about that. Mm. If, if somebody else is hurting, I'm hurting too. We right. are not whole. Right. And we're hurting, and we're hurting, and we're sick, right. and we need and we need healing. Right. You know, so if I if if 
I, if I could heal myself, right. when I went through the coaching program, the spiritual life coaching program, you had to be willing to be coach, coachable. You had to be coachable, mm -hmm. and you had to be willing that you got to heal yourself because mm -hmm. before you go out and heal anybody else, right. you have to be completely healed. Right. Every chakra. Right. We, we went back to the foundation mm. from the time before we were even born, marinating mm. in our mother's wombs, as mm. she says, you know, and to, to heal that energy and all the things our mothers were going through, mm. you know, that, mm. that, that affected us mm. before we even came out. Mm. So, uh, you know, so and and every chakra all the way up. Mm. Be, and and what, what you're told is, you know, you're going to attract who you are. Mm. Law of attraction. We 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 coach by spiritual uh, and universal laws. Mm. You know, I, mm. and um, and you do every single person I've ever, every client I've ever had, anybody ever coached, mm. they were going through something I had already gone through. Mm. And if I hadn't healed, I, I would be triggered, and I wouldn't be any any good for them. Right. I wouldn't have anything for them. Right. You know, so but but it hasn't failed yet. I'm telling you, every single thing, every single person right. is a reflection of myself, right. and we reflect each other. Right. So we it was we are one. So right. if yeah. if I heal myself up, you could come along and you could get healed up too. Right. You know, so I have to share myself. And you, you know? have been with so much of your life's work. One of the things that's coming up for me is. Uh, one of the medicines both you and I share is creative writing uh, and I feel like in many ways I've heard people over the years talk about how music has saved their life, how drawing has saved them, their life. For me, I feel like writing played a very pivotal role in just keeping me sane but also just being able to be in a space of ascension uh, to get deeper with the oneness. You have uh, been writing, you've been, uh, you know, I know as early as your childhood days, you were writing poetry and also playing the clarinet. I know art's been a big part of your life. Could you talk to us a little bit about this trilogy that you've been working uh, on? And, you know, I know the first two uh, novels in the, that trilogy is published. And I know that you're, you know, you're playing with themes of, uh, of spirituality, of Afrofuturism, etc. I'm wondering what was that journey and what's that journey been like for you and where are you at with it? Where's the third book at? <laughs> the third book is right here. It's, it's, it's yes. literally blowing my mind. Mm. <laughs> so um, thank you for asking me that. And uh, I, um, I've been having a ball. The journey is my journey. Mm of understanding spirituality mm. and I, um, I, I, because I had to investigate it mm. and, and, and I, I didn't understand the experiences I was having and mm. when I was younger. So I, when I started writing, I said, you know, I'm going to put these in a book <laughs> mm. and let other people, let's see how other people respond to it. And at first I was little leery because now in Mariah's seed, I, it, everything is, pretty much uh, um, mundane. It's a, you know, there's a, all the ruckus that's happening in Brownsville. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the you, first book in the series. That's the, that's the, that's the first book. Mm -hmm. it's, it's 1963. Mm -hmm. And, um, and um, I was bust. Uh, I was, a, you know, a child of the revolution. We were integrate, fighting for integration. Mm -hmm. And so we, my mother opted for us to, to 
go on the school bus and go to the white neighborhood and be taught. And of course they didn't want us there. So there had been race riots and so forth there. So we, um, um, so I, I relived that experience. I retell that experience in, in Mariah Seed. And I also, and there had been a little boy who had been shot and it had happened in Harlem. A, a policeman uh, shot a little black boy and people started rioting. They just lost it. They had had enough. And, and it trickled down to Brownsville and in Brooklyn, all over the city, people were rioting. What year was that, that Kathy? That was 63. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so... I, you know, I, so I said, I'm, I wanted to tell the story of a family of activists mm. who, because that's who I grew up with, you know, those were the, the, the revolutionaries, the activists who mm. were, you know, not, not everybody was in the Black Panthers. They, right. they may have been a couple, right. you know, but they, but most of them were in the Black Arts Movement. Mm. So mm. they were, um, we were uh, fighting, you know, we were at the, you know, at the picket, on the picket lines and all of that, but mm. we were also performing, mm. you know, so we danced. I learned African dance. Mm. I, I, um, we, we, we did the poetry. Mm. Uh, we did the, we did a lot of drama. We did plays. We put on shows all the time. We mm. were putting on shows, mm. you know, but, but but in the book, so I wanted to give homage to those people who um, who had such a major impact in my life and saved my life. I mm-hmm. believe they did, mm-hmm. and so I wanted people to experience that because I realized even though I lived in Brownsville, everybody in Brownsville didn't have the same experience I right. had. Right. You know, so right. I, I wanted to share how empowering that was. Mm-hmm. So that's in that's in the book, and um, and I. I've always met people and there were times I felt very lonely because, you know, when people die, I had lost, I had lost my grandmother who I was very close to Mm -hmm. and my, and my dad left and then my grandfather died right after that. That was when I was like 11. And so I just felt all this sense of loss, 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 loss. And I said, how do people survive that? You know, Mm -hmm. but well, you find out, you know, and, in chapter six. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Pick up the book. <laughs> and and I, I, but I also I wanted people to know that no, we 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 don't lose. Spirits don't die. You know, mm. that's that's the that's the main um, connection. And Mariah is a legend in the book. Mariah Seed. We are all Mariah Seed. Mariah is a, a is a, a slave. She's captured and made to be a slave, and she's on the ship. And she gets an opportunity to jump, and she's about to. And she re- remembers her aunt's. Uh, you know, she had been. Uh, she when she got married. You know, the griot came and was telling on everybody there. The, the history of the family and he told her you know your seed will one day bring Africa back to Africa mm. and she was pregnant mm. so she knew if she jumped she she oh. well she couldn't jump or her seed would never be able to right. to, to um, make things right again right. so I put my I didn't know why I was writing this mm. but but I said okay that means that I have to find the solution. You know, I have, I'm going to have to in the third book in, in Miracle right now. Mm. You're going to see how um, that all comes true. Mm. But uh, yeah, so my one of my um, I'm encouraging people. One of my themes is don't jump. Mm. Don't jump. Mm. And and and, uh, and she's uh, there's a point in the book where um, the main character, which is Passion. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's, it's an Afrofuturistic allegory. Mm-hmm. So passion is passion. Mm-hmm. Justice is justice, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, um, she's about to jump and, and she doesn't, she ends up not jumping, hmm. you know, and passion's pride. There's also, because I know that everybody has their end of the rope moment. Hmm. And I, and I want to encourage you to not jump. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Right. I know in, uh, the sequel, uh, where it's the September 11th event yeah. that wakes up the, uh, the main character, the daughter, uh, yes, uh, Mecca, yes, and so you refer to that moment as a returning, and you you know it's interesting because you chose the name Mecca for her uh, in this allegorical term as well. What does it mean to have an awakening, uh, and like what did that mean for you in like engaging with this character who has an awakening in light of September 11th? Yeah. Um, it means I had, I had come to the point in my life where I, I knew my ancestors were present with me. Mm. Like I said, you know, like, as you brought up earlier, I knew that somebody's whispering these stories into my ears. Mm. I, mm. I know that there's something that's, uh, that needs to be heard, you know, be, because I've been given this mission. Mm. So when you come to understand and, and accept it fully that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not working alone. And, and then I had to come to the, you know, awakening where, um, I, I have to continue to connect. Mm. <laughs> mm. I have to, I have to continue. I, this is, this is a new way of life, mm. you know? Mm. And but what I was thinking before was not correct. Um, um, open yourself and completely surrender to what is and passions. I mean, like I said, I touched on the spirituality, um, and, and, um, Mariah seed, but passions pride, I decided to open all the way up mm-hmm. and not, and, and throw caution to the wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if people thought I was crazy, that's okay. I don't care mm-hmm. because I, I'm living this spiritual life mm-hmm. and I know what I know. And I know that I know what is true mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm living it. I'm feeling it. I'm hearing it. I'm tasting it. I'm touching it. So right. I, I, um, I, le- I went all the way out and I'm telling you some of the things I wrote, mm-hmm. I'm just understanding now. Right. Right. And I had, I had read, uh, you know, different things, you know, but what, like with, uh, Mecca being, um, possessed, so to speak by Mariah, mm-hmm. Cause that's why she's doing the thing she's doing in passion's pride. Mm. Her spirit has detached from her and she has to get it back, you know? Right. And there, there is a belief system that says, you know, you, when the wound, a wound and when blood leaves, you know, that, that does give spirit and blood are the same. Mm. And it gives, it, get, it opens you up to uh, another spirit coming in and Mariah, mm. you know, with her legendary self, she, she comes in to protect Mecca, mm-hmm. you know, so that no one else would obsess her. But of course, if that's the case, she's going to live through what uh, Mariah lived through, though. Mm-hmm. So I know I, went, I know I went deep mm-hmm. and, you know, and uh, some people, if, if you like spirituality and Afro, Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. you're going to love that. But I made sure that I balanced it out, of course, with a lot of wonderful history. All of the history is true. Mm-hmm. All of that history of New York City is, mm-hmm. is true. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And now in uh, Miracle, it's all just straight out. Everybody knows the deal. <laughs> you're right. just going to see 
life being lived out, the spirits are alive and entered ex- into exchanging with one another, mm-hmm. <laughs> interacting with one another, you know, from different realms at the same time. Right. We go there. Right. Well, I'd encourage, I'd encourage you to go out there and pick up this trilogy, uh, Maria's Seed, Why Hope Loves Behind Project Walls, the first in the trilogy, and then, of course, Passion's Pride, Return to the Dawning, the second in the trilogy, which is almost, 30, almost 40 years later after yeah. the first one being in 1963, the second one being in around 2001. And then now uh, Miracle should be, be out soon. So uh, please do pick it up. While we wrap up, one thing you said about writing is that we write by spirit. Yes. And so I'm wondering what, what words of wisdom do you have for listeners in this current day and age at this point of feeling isolated, alienated, maybe divorced from nature and the seasons and ancestry and each other. What words would you like to offer and leave our listenership with? Yeah, I, um, I leave you these words. Um, what I'm hearing right now is reconnect, reconnect, mm. reconnect. Mm. You are never, ever, ever alone. Um, take that chance. Go into meditation. Mm. Even just start talking to your ancestors. Put the idea in your mind mm. that that I'm not alone, mm. and um, and they are here. Ask for guidance, mm. and then listen for the guidance. Mm. Don't come up with your own ideas. <laughs> listen <laughs> for the guidance, you know. Right. And believe that what you're hearing is true. Mm. If it's negative, it's not them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's how you tell the difference. Like, am I, they, they, would they tell me to hurt myself? No, never, 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 never. Mm-hmm. Okay, if it's positive, then you're hearing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I say um, reconnect with people mm-hmm. you haven't talked to in years. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, reach out, reach out literally and in, in, um, in touch and get in touch with uh, family members maybe mm-hmm. you haven't spoken to. The last thing you should ever do is just stay home alone and in fear. Mm-hmm. Fear is a monster, mm-hmm. you know, fear is a monster. And you have to ask yourself, if you're having negative thoughts, what am I fearing? Mm-hmm. You know, why would I think this? All right, what what do, you know, and, and, and what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. Let, counter them, counter all of the negative thoughts with something positive, wow. you know? Right, right. Counter every single one and start catching them when they come in your mind. So I can't. I when you start hearing yourself, oh, it's, uh, this is going on for too long. I can't do it anymore. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop. Mm-hmm. I I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I, and I can reach out and talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. If no one's reached out to you, you we have Facebook. We have. Um, you could create your own. Uh, um, uh, storytelling, whatever. I, I just created something and people answered. What, mm-hmm. what, what would you want to talk about? People mm-hmm. will talk to you. Right. You know, come up with a topic, come up with a subject, create mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. just like this podcast. Right. That's and, so and, powerful, Kathy. Thank you so much. Kathy Wright Lewis, the legend. Uh, it's been <laughs> such an honor to be able to share this uh, time and space with you. Oh, thank you. It's been beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank you for all the accolades. And uh, um, I, I, I'm very humbled and um, probably blushing right now. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you reading and, um, and wanting for others to know about the stories. Thank mm, you so much. Absolutely.